What's going on, party people? Um, I think I just clicked there. My name is Tommy V, and I am back with Bar Down Breakdown. It's been a couple of months. Um, I gotta first, before I introduce our awesome guests here, give props to Mikey and Justin for holding down the fort for so long. Um, really excited to be back, um, feeling a little bit better. You, you kind of know my story and know what I've been through. So um, just want a real quick uh, shout out. Um, August 27th, uh, a bunch of my buddies uh, got together and did a really awesome thing at Amityville Music Hall, and they're putting together a little benefit for me, um, getting behind the drum kit again, which I'm really, really excited for. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, Ink and Lead, old punk band I was in, Survivor's Guilt, post-hardcore band I was in, uh, great band called Heavy Hex. Uh, my buddy Jeremy um, is, is in that band, and I really love them. And uh, our good buddies uh, in the buddy system, we just had Chris on recently, are uh, playing as well. Uh, they are reuniting for this. So uh, if you are in the area, come on out and come say hi to me because, uh, you know, you'll, you'll have a good time. I promise you that. And uh, on that note, we are here with Aaron, Nick, and Zach from Friend Circle, or if you want to be prudent, you would call them Friends Circle. Um, <laughs> They just hate vowels, and I'm cool with that because I think vowels are stupid. You have to buy them on Wheel of Fortune, which is dumb. So I I can appreciate that. So, but um, we're super stoked to have you guys um, or have you guys back, I should say. You know, because you've been on the the pod before. But um, now talking to you guys, you know, Suburban Dictionary had just come out, uh, you know, a couple of months ago, which is a a great album. I've spun it a couple of times, so you know, kudos to you guys on that. Um, so. Uh, I guess I'll just uh, sort of jump right into it, and uh, I guess I'll shoot this one over to to Aaron first. Um, so, when you were conceptualizing this record, um, you know, and kind of looking at what you were going to play on it, um, any you know any big influences that you had, any specific drummers, you know, even ones that might be out of the vein that you were thinking of when you were, you know, kind of coming up with some of the some of the stuff you were going to put on this record. Yeah, when uh, usually uh, how songs usually start, um, Zach just shows me the basic structure of it. And from there, you know, he lets me use my creativity. Um, I mean, I try to take influence from just the drummers that I know growing up. Um, obviously, you can hear a lot, a lot of Travis Barker uh, from the pop punk uh, mm-hmm. you know, elements of it. Um, I try to incorporate, you know, sounds from Trey Cool, Green Day. Sure. And then... Um, Honestly, you know, my personal favorite, you know, was uh, Paramore's drummer, Zach Farrow, you know, all the older stuff from like, uh, you know, that uh, Misery Business album, mm-hmm. Brand New Eyes, um, inspiration from that, you know, and just incorporate my own style, of course, and whatever fits, you know, what the song is uh, needing. Sweet. Awesome. And, uh, you know, interesting you bring up Zach Farrow because that is, um, you know, probably one of the one of the more versatile drummers in in um in pop punk or or i mean i don't really even know if you can call paramore a you know pop punk band much anymore i mean you know they have all these uh you know funk and soul influences and uh you know all this kind of stuff but he's uh really you know on those first couple of records he's you know flashy and playing all over the place and now he's just kind of toned it back and he's more of a pocket drummer now but it's it's awesome to hear you know two different sides of a drummer and i think that's something that a lot of people don't realize you know you talk about you know, like Travis Barker and Trey Cool, maybe maybe not as much Travis, you know, because Travis had his um, 
you know, played in a couple of different bands where he wasn't as um, grandiose, I guess, <laughs> yeah, when he wasn't as Travis Barker. Um, but, you know, Trey Cool specifically, I mean, you know, like he's got a very specific style of playing, you know, and yep. um, it, it's unmistakably Trey Cool. You know, like when you hear Dookie or when you hear Nimrod or, or even American Idiot, it's like, you know, I'm listening to Green Day and that's Trey Cool playing the drums. So, um, you know, versatility is so important in in playing playing drums so you know i guess another follow-up question i'd have for you then is you know so you know you talked a little bit about how you you know how the songs come together and uh, you know you're having a little bit of freedom to play um did you because i know sometimes you know when you're playing in a you know in a recording studio and you're rehearsing and all this kind of stuff you know you're trying to put the best take out of 10, 15 takes that you can put on a track, but do you ever have those situations where, you know, you play something a certain way and then you had a take that just sounded really good and you're like, Oh wait, that's a different fill than I usually play. So now you actually have to go back and like almost kind of reorganize the way you're playing and come out with, you know, exactly what you put on, on wax, or are you a little bit more free when you're playing live? Um, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Like, I mean, you know, you, you play drums, uh, you know, listening back to the album, you know, from time when you record it, just like when you go to play the show live, you're, it's not going to be exactly what it is. You'll develop over time and find cooler stuff to put in there. But, um, usually heading into the studio, I have a general idea of what I want and, mm -hmm. you know, what Zach, you know, prefers if he thinks, oh, maybe this fill will sound cooler here than there. There were takes, I think the last song on the album actually, titled All Right. Um, there was a lot of open parts, you know, open spaces where I could do different fills. And I know, you know, the place where we recorded at, um, the Hilson Studio down in Tennessee, the guy who helped us track drums, he, he was suggesting a lot of different parts that I didn't even, you know, hear at the time. Mm -hmm. um, it's always, you know, everybody has a different ear, as you know, yeah. but just try to, you know, I try not to take, you know, I try not to do all these flashy different parts because I don't want to take away from the overall sound of the song. Um, you know, I want to leave space so people can hear the great stuff that Zach is putting on guitar, mm -hmm. stuff that Nick's playing on bass. Um, but yeah, I usually just, I, I try to remain in the back scene a little bit just so everybody can hear the overall sound of the song. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I, Travis Barker talking about him, right? I mean, it's just like, mm -hmm. there's only one Travis Barker. And I mean, you know, it, with Blink-182, it's, you know, he's such, uh, again, you know, using the word grandiose, right? I mean, it, it's kind of the perfect word for him because he's so flashy. <laughs> and he's, he's, he's doing so much stuff. And, um, you know, he still finds a way to make it tasteful enough where it fits with Blink-182 songs, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is a, is a, is a really interesting thing. Now, um, I'll throw this over to Zach real quick. So, um, uh, you, you are for, for all intents and purposes, like the primary songwriter of a friend circle, you'd say. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it's fair to say that. Cool. So, um, now I'm not sure if, uh, on this last record was Nick playing bass on the, on the record. No, Nick's no. not playing bass on this record. Okay. But um yeah. Got it. So now did you did you handle those duties yourself or did you have someone in the studio do it or 
No, I I handled it myself. It was okay. the first time I've tracked bass. Interesting. So that's kind yeah. of a, a cool experience. So I guess by by trade or by definition, you'd consider yourself probably a guitar player first and then like a bassist second, essentially. Or do you think you have kind of the, the same chops with both? I, I wouldn't even consider myself a bassist, I guess, <laughs> technically. But I... You know, it's like the bottom four strings of a guitar. So True. I can, I understand like the dynamic of it, Got like it. what is required of the instrument. That being said, I'm not a technical player by any means, whereas my brother can, you know, he comes in with uh, a lot more technical ability than I do. You know, I'm, I'm just based, I'm like a Blink-182 pop punk bassist, I would Got say. It. So like a lot of root follow rhythm that. guitar. Yeah, root notes and rhythm and stuff. But you know, there's, yeah, but, yeah. But there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, you, you, you know, if you listen to like a, you know, really, really great pop punk records, like, um, you know, just to use an, as an example, because I just listened to it recently again, uh, you know, The Hum Goes On Forever by The Wonder Years, right? You know, um, mm-hmm. I, I want to, uh, Josh, Josh's name, right? Joshua. Yeah. So, um, you know, great bassist, you know, but you know, not super techie, not super flashy, you know, very much, you know, in the pocket, um, you know, and it lends itself to all the wacky stuff that, you know, Casey does and Nick does and, and, you know, all that kind of, you, you know, upwards layering of guitars. So, um, I guess I'd, I'd love to kind of, hear about how you conceptualize songs you know do you because uh, i know a lot of people do it differently so like do you typically start with like a riff and build off of that or do you start with you know okay i have this rhythm track and i want to put these leads on top of it like i guess how does it come together for you um so a lot of the stuff that was written for internet noise specifically our last album was started mm-hmm. on an acoustic it was started on an acoustic guitar oh wow and just kind of me like you know it's like okay uh, our big song famous i had uh i had the idea for the melody in my head and i i got home from work and i was like let me just work on this with the acoustic guitar mm-hmm. the difference with this record was we um a couple songs were done like that but also there is like like golden for example we started with um drums mm. and you know aaron and i were kind of like messing around with this idea he had and you know it, it built off of that rather than like the method that i was always familiar with which was the um the uh, acoustic guitar you know aaron we had you on almost three years ago at this point and internet noise i think just came out when we had you on i'm trying to like piece it piece it all together but you guys have gone through some transitions with your band right some member changes and things like that so um you know as you were going into recording this album before you even got into the studio were you guys certain that friend circle was going to continue like was that even in question or it was just kind of, you know, we're going we're gonna to maybe get on Craigslist and get some members and keep this thing going. Yeah, I, I think it was right around, around, right around that time. We dropped Internet Noise in May of 2020. I think I appeared a few months down the a few months after that. OK, but, um, you know, going into this record, uh, it was I'm trying to recall now. It's been so long. It feels like a whirlwind. whirlwind. Um, so it was about 
I think February, March of 2022, when our previous two members, um, you know, due to personal reasons, they felt, you know, they wanted to, you know, get get uh, work in other areas of their life where, you know, we wanted to continue with the band and, you know, take the next step forward. You know, we left on good terms with them and um, it did put me and Zach in a situation to where we weren't sure what the next step was. Um, Zach already had, you know, five or six songs that he was happy about and he wanted to, you know, push forward. So we were at that point, you know, what's a better and bold statement than, you know, dropping an album after a lineup change. So, yeah. Can you guys hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Weird story. My audio device is connected to my audio interface for whatever reason. And it automatically muted me. Yep. Cause I could st- I could still hear you guys, but it was coming from my headphones across the desk. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Right now? <laughs> so my apologies for that. And the, to further build on what Aaron just said, I mean, we were coming out of the pandemic, especially around the time where we went through a lineup change and we were working on new music. And um, there, you know, there was a lot of downtime, especially for me to just like compile some songs together, and it, it, it was it just seemed to like be a two paths that crossed and they didn't end up being, um, you know, we all, we went our separate ways and I'm, I'm proud of Aaron and I for being able to continue without letting it, it did hinder us, but we didn't let it stop us. Yep. Exactly. And I think that's like the beauty of like momentum too. Cause the, the pandemic for, for everything that, for every negative that it had, there was so much positive when it came to having the time to be able to put together music and actually just come together, corroborate and be like, all right, you know, once this ends, like we're going to have, you know, 14 to 20 songs that we can put out just because we had that time where we were actually not focused on playing shows or planning on tours or anything else. We had nothing to do, but to actually just sit down with a guitar and, you know, an, an electric drum pad or a MIDI pad or however you want to, you know, program drums and just knock that shit out. Um, so I think it's like, it, it kind of put, it kind of gave a little bit of perspective for every band that was kind of like going through it because we were all bummed that we couldn't play shows. But I think it, it pushed that motivation factor a little bit more to be like, no, we're going to record, we're going to write, we're going to do all this stuff so that once this ends, we're going to hit it hard. And that's exactly what you guys did. I mean, you guys put out what like five singles in 2022 um overall i I mean yeah i think like two last year but like this year combined there's like five or six off of the record and even like i remember i remember in 2021 like i couldn't there was not a playlist i had that complications did not appear on (laughs) and it it was like it's such a good song and i remember like like I, I had gotten into you guys, you know, with with um with your last album, like you put out in 2020, and then complications came out, and then everything started filtering into every single one of my playlists, and it was like so awesome just hearing you guys, and then you guys put out Golden and 47, and it was just really cool hearing all that come through, and I'm like, all right, Spotify understands my algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you guys play any shows as a two piece before adding Nick in? No, I don't think so. No, we did. I I still have not seen Origami Angel. Like I'm planning on seeing them at Four Chord, 
and i'm just like so curious how they recreate like the the songs from their albums in a live show because there's so many layers and things to those songs or i'm like how are they pulling this off as a two-piece like maybe they're looping shit and having backing tracks and whatnot but either way i i think it's cool that they just stay as a two-piece i i think it's cool yeah there are a lot of cool like two and three piece bands that um are able to recreate you know a lot of cool stuff using you know some yeah some bands use backing tracks and stuff but uh I mean, Origami Angel's guitar player is just a like a nutcase. So like he's all over the fretboard, man. Like if you ever kind of like watch any of their live videos and stuff, like and the fact that like he plays all those crazy leads and he's able to sing and stuff it is just like I don't know how how some of these guys do it, but like I think Fall it's Troy esque. Yeah, I I mean you know Thomas from Fall of Troy, he's he's in his own category, man. He's okay. he's something else. That guy's a maniac, but you know like. <laughs> I think it's um I think it's super cool to um you know to know that you guys really did hit it hard. I think you know I've said it a bunch of times. I think the best thing to ever come out of the pandemic was all of the cool music that we got, you know. Because the reality is, you know, all all people could do is just sit around, you know, and if you can mm-hmm. sit around and you know, you're a musician, you know, why not write some music? So, you know, use the time wisely and a lot of bands did and that's why you know, the past couple of years, we've had a lot of really cool stuff come out. So, um, you know, I, uh, I applaud you guys for, you know, coming out of the other side of the pandemic, you know, squeaky clean, I guess you could say. Um, so I guess uh, I'll, I'll throw this one over to Nick. So, um, you know, I always like to ask the question of, uh, of, you know, guys who were, you know, coming in and, and, you know, playing, playing gigs live and stuff and learning music. Um, what was the process like for you to kind of, you know, be given uh, like a hand basket of songs and just be like, go to town, man. Hey, oh, thanks. It's a great question. I totally appreciate it. I guess I'll just start with, uh, yeah, it was around uh, this time last year when Zach approached me and he was like, you know, I have all this material, you know, I knew him and Aaron were going to Nashville and working on stuff. And he was basically like, you know, like I need a basis for my band definitely he basically you know asked me to do the job i was like all right like hell yeah um and i it basically started with just you know listening writing the songs out and really like over time and just getting more comfortable like playing shows i think like i've really kind of settled in to a place where like i'm really comfortable like you know i write some of my own parts that I don't know. I think it's just like awesome because I'm a very experienced um, musician as a hobbyist, but I've never played gigs with a rock band, you know, until literally now at this point in my life, I had no idea like how cool it is. (laughs) So I'm having like the best time ever doing this. And yeah, learning the songs has been like, I don't know, you know, it's been like so much work. And eventually, like, I got to a point, and it definitely wasn't in the first, like, six or seven or eight shows. It was, like, the double digits when I was, like, all right. You know, I got serious about it. Like, I have an amp that just connects to headphones, and I practice before our sets. That way, I can play the album forwards and backwards now. But, you know, it wasn't overnight. It was over time. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I feel like it's always, like, a like a weird a weird thing when you're kind of, like, 
especially like because have you have you just said you, you've been doing it as a hobby but like have you ever played a show prior to friend circle honestly um maybe just like a couple open mic nights uh, yeah but it's always been just like no get together and jam with friends like stuff and like do you like the nerdier shit like especially when i played guitar before i, I started trying to play bass kind of seriously like probably 13 ish years ago but it was mm-hmm. always just get together with friends and like jam like you know play like all these dumb classic rock songs that we know try to just do i don't know you know maybe occasionally record stuff but gigs like no never i it just never you know it was not something i thought i would i would do i guess um so i'm like pretty stoked about it now because it's good (laughs) yeah and then you then you end up playing a show with dead bundy uh, for their album release show and you have a blast with it yeah 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 that was a fun time i love those guys that was our first time meeting they're all very nice and uh welcoming so nice. shout out to dead bundy now how'd you guys meet nick is he like a <laughs> old school homie or i met nick uh geez, when i was born fucking uh he's my brother so oh shit so yeah, like yeah. i i heard you say that earlier in the interview and i'd like you know, sometimes like, oh, yeah, he's just like my brother. Like, you know, I say that about Tom yeah, and Justin all yeah. the time, <laughs> but he's like actually your blood brother. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. yeah. Nick is my blood brother. Aaron's my brother from another mother. <laughs> nice. <laughs> cool. So, uh, uh, Nick, are you the, the older or younger brother? Um. Yeah, I'm four and a half years older than Zach. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Yeah. And, um. Yeah, I guess, you know, we both grew up kind of into music in our own ways, I guess, with our own interests and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, this is the first time we've, like, worked together, like, professionally on something. And, uh, yeah, it's going great. Played, like, 15 shows with Friend Circle now, and it just keeps getting better and better. Nice. Yeah, so the question I, I, I have to ask is who got who into alternative music? Oh, I mean, <laughs> Nick, I, Nick got me into like um, new metal when I was younger because he was like listening to like Limp Biscuit and Corn, yeah, fucking Linkin Park. And then yep. I kind of picked up like Hybrid Theory one day and I didn't stop listening to it for like a year. Yeah. So I I definitely followed I think in his footsteps musically for a while and then I think he branched off towards um kind of like more classic rock Led Zeppelin I remember okay. him listening to a lot and then I was drifting more towards like punk rock um cool you know my I had my friends they were always getting me into like oh dude like listen to this MXPX song it's so sick like listen to the Descendants they're fucking sick mm-hmm. um. My buddy, yeah, back in the days of like burning CDs and whatnot. Yep. So oh yeah, that would just we, that would give me shit. And I was we were all there, man. I I I've probably burnt I don't know like ten CDs for Mikey over the years. Yeah, but each CD had like four hundred tracks on it. Yeah, because yeah, how MP, you, I MP3 still don't know CDs. how you did that. Nice. Listen, MP3 CDs, man. And then another cool thing that I did for a long, long time, which like. It got around. Uh, so I don't know if you remember this, but back in the day, AOL Instant Messenger had this feature called Get File. So you could actually like connect to someone's like like a server 
and just download stuff from this server. And what I did was I was really meticulous about keeping like MP3s and I like I cataloged them and I like titled them all and you know all this stuff. So like I would download them from wherever I got them from IRC or Kazaa or whatever. And I put them in this big folder and then all these people would just download shit from me. So like I'd turn on my computer and it would be like you know, Mikey's handle was we're not orphans. And it was like, we're not orphans is downloading this cartel CD from you. And it's just like, oh shit. So and I, had I told all my friends at college who didn't even know yeah, Tom and they didn't even know me. rip music. from. And I remember like, I would just see like, like a, like a username I didn't know. And I would like hit him up and just be like, Hey, you're not the FBI. Right. And they're like, no, I'm fucking Mikey's, you know, chemistry buddy. And I'm just like, cool, sick, whatever. Just don't tell the cops, you know? So it Hold was on, a, guys. Lars Ulrich. Yeah, we got him. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> fuck that guy. That guy used a, a keg as a snare drum on fucking. <laughs> no fuck him. So does yeah. Slipknot though? Yeah, you, but I'm okay with Slipknot doing it. I'm not okay with Lars Ulrich because he's just, was a little, such a little shithead. He's like, uh, I'm the drummer Metallica. We make millions of dollars. Let me shut down Napster. Piss everybody off. <laughs> loser. Guy. I Anyways, I don't want to talk about Lars Ulrich, <laughs> whatever his stupid dumb name is. What I do want to talk about uh, real quick before we uh, we talk a little bit about DraftKings is um, so you, Zach, you kind of got cut off, and I I, I did want to um, hear your answer to the question. So uh, again, I had asked uh, of the songs on the new record, you know, what kind of pulled you out of your comfort zone, and uh, and how did it? So I just was kind of interested in, in hearing a little bit about that. Okay, yeah. So the the three songs that put me out of my comfort zone were No Bad Days, Orange Tang, and Don't Wait Up, and for all for three different reasons. Okay. Um, no Bad Days was a song that I wrote the melody to first, and we, you know we had the whole chorus written out, but we weren't sure how to structure the song, and that took a couple months to really formulate. Mm. So that was one of the challenges that Aaron and I went. You know, we poured over that song meticulously multiple times during practice sessions before we finally figured out what we wanted to do. Um, the next song, Orange Tang, has a lot of more modern dynamics to it instrumentally. Okay. I remember sitting down with our producer, Tyler, in the studio, and I was like, man, this is going to take a while for this song because there's so many little parts that I want to do that I haven't been able to demo out because mm -hmm. I just... I didn't think it would do it any justice. Sure. So we spent like a whole day playing along with that song. Um, the third song, Don't Wait Up, it was, it's different for me vocally because it's a little more soft than the verses and there's a lot of low octave things going on. Mm -hmm. And we spent a lot of time trying to figure out the levels for that, you know, like, should there be a higher octave saying over top of it? And, you know, does the low one carry the dominance over the high octave? Mm -hmm. So. We eventually settled along doing both and then just like adjusting volumes. And I, I remember like trying to singing, trying to sing it. And that was like the one point in the studio where I was like super frustrated. Cause I was like, <laughs> I was like God damn it. Like I can't do it how I want to do it. But mm -hmm. we eventually figured it out. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, I would always love to be like a fly on the wall in like uh, like a studio session because it's, you know, as a, as a listener, right? Because I've been on like both sides of it. You know, I've been in bands that have recorded, but like I would consider myself these days m much more of a listener than a creator. 
but it's it's so interesting like when you get to hear a finished record like you know i've listened to you know the record a couple of times but you know you guys have painstakingly combed through it and you know you guys have picked it apart and you know it it would be so interesting to kind of hear the genesis of where the songs came from which is why i really like when bands put out like demo versions of of stuff because you really get to hear where it started and where it got to like that was something i always loved about weezer like weezer did it almost with like every record where like you know granted rivers cuomo i mean the man you know like infamously i think wrote something like 50 songs for like the pinkerton sessions you know because he's a absolute madman but it's Mm -hmm. like you know getting to hear the demo versions of like you know the bones of the song and then getting to hear how they materialize in the studio i think is such an interesting dichotomy so um if you guys ever release demos i'd love to hear i'm just saying but (laughs) but no it's i mean it's awesome to hear you know that everything came together for you guys and you know it's a labor of love of course it is you know being in the studio and doing all this stuff you know and you know having it finally release and you know to to the pomp and circumstance that it deserves is an awesome thing so you know congratulations to you guys for it yeah man thank you thank you and another labor of love is our homies DraftKings. so new customers <laughs> download yes, the DraftKings so. sportsbook app and use code thpn bet just five dollars to score 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly that's code thpn only at DraftKings sportsbook gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER Massachusetts call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelpline.org in New York call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in Kansas call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas in West Virginia gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net all games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery Please play responsibly in partnership with Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races in Connecticut. Help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 21 and older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after assurance. One boot. Uh, one boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Max bet $50 plus $10 in legal requirements for 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash baseball terms. See what nice. I was talking about there. <laughs> oh, it's never it's like those prescriptions. Can you yep. wait? The, how often do they change it? Like, do they still change it weekly? Oh, so this is just all summer. Yeah. So you know what you should really do, man, is you should just like you read them from now on. Yep. Well, I mean, you could do that or you could just (laughs) record yourself doing it and just we talked about that. I think that's that's probably what we should have done a long time ago. But (laughs) yeah, we just power with it. We're trying to figure out we're trying to figure out the worst way to segue it into conversation, which is the best part. (laughs) Well, that was a pretty bad segue, I gotta say, because because like you you just said bottom bottom three for Mikey on that one. (laughs) You were like he's he's done a lot of really good ones. Next time I'm gonna lead into that you like doing that, I'm gonna be like, Yeah, and you know what else is good? Like a fucking omelet with peppers and you're gonna be like omelet with peppers DraftKings is omelet with peppers and you have DraftKings in your omelet like you know 
I get it, man. <laughs> you know, they do keep the lights on. So, you know, we appreciate it. And, you know, DraftKings, you know, if you're if you're into that kind of stuff, DraftKings is pretty cool. I've never won any money, though, because um, I'm bad at betting. You know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, uh, I, I get I, I do a, do a bit of gambling myself, but I will say I did win some money when the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup, not this previous season, but the year before. Oh, I always, yeah. Since they're my team, I did put a couple bucks on them, you know, and they so happily won it. And then I do use DraftKings, so. Nice. nice. So, so, so I, you put money on them in the, at, like, the beginning of the season? Um, I think I usually do it when playoffs roll around. And they were a heavy favorite, you know, going yeah. into the playoffs that year. Oh, okay. Um, I think I put, like, you know, I think I put 50 bucks on it, and I – I did get some, you know, a good payout because it was at the very beginning of the playoffs. Sweet. But, um, yeah, I trust me. I, I rarely hit as well on my bets, so I try to stay away from it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've always been really bad at betting. Like, I'm, I'm even bad at, like, um, I, was, uh, I was in the hospital for, like, a couple of, uh, a couple of days, and I was super-duper bored, so I downloaded, like, a slots app on my phone, and I was <laughs> even bad at that. Like, bad. <laughs> like... It, like they were like, thank you for downloading this. Like, here's 10 million free coins. And like, I was, I was out of coins in like four minutes. And I was like, fuck? <laughs> like, like, God damn it. like yeah. what am I doing with my life that I can't even gamble fake money, mm-hmm. let alone real money. So it, it can be addicting. It can be addicting. Hey, I mean, I get it. Yeah. You know, that's why you have all those telephone numbers you can call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> None of them are in Florida, though. No. Yeah. Because well, they don't care. Florida doesn't care about if you have a gambling problem. So, so you, you guys, you guys kind of started off the this year, like, you know, pretty high. You, you guys did a, a quick, you know, run of shows with Telltale. Uh, you guys just did the Dead Bundy show. You guys got any cool kind of stories that you've uh, you've kind of accumulated on the road this year, or any kind of like cool experiences? I know you guys played the Masquerade and a couple of other like kind of like pretty solid venues. Um, uh, uh, I think your interface is taking back over. Your interface yeah. is taking over again. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, as he, as he was saying. Um, one of the sad, I think we, we did two runs with Telltale, you know, in the first few months of the year. Yeah. And um, I think it was the first go around. Not a great story by any means because our van broke down. Um, yeah, we were heading from Atlanta from the Masquerade to, I think, Charlotte at the time. And we pulled over, we had to get gas. And then as soon as we, you know, the, I'm not a mechanic by any means. Basically, it was over, the engine was overheating, I believe. And yeah. we needed a new water pump. And it was a Sunday. Not many shops were open. Nope. Um, and I guess this is kind of like a small silver lining in it. Um, Nick had actually had to go back to work. So he had to catch a flight from, he had to Uber to Charlotte to catch a flight back home. And me and Zach, uh, we had to stay in Georgia for 24 hours. At least, yeah, it was basically a full 24 hours. But we were actually in the nicest mall in the state of Georgia, in Buford, I believe it's called. Yeah, yeah Law, Georgia. Yep. Yeah, it was it was actually a great time. I mean, we had we had a few drinks. I had a good buzz going on. Um, <laughs> we just roamed around the mall, and um, you know, it's you know, it was actually like my brother, so I was just hanging with him for an additional day, and then we drove eleven hours straight back home once the van was fixed, and um, that was one of the you know, I guess good but bad stories. I can't think of anything else for the last few months. Can you, Nick? I'm trying to remember. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, just the different venues, I mean, I guess, been a highlight. Uh, is Zach back yet? Still trying yeah. to fix these AirPods? Yo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the shows themselves were amazing, because we've never really played with, like, an artist as, um, I guess as big as Telltale. Yeah. So, I think them just taking us out for the for the short run that it was was an amazing opportunity um getting to play in nashville after recording the year before in nashville was amazing because that's awesome yeah the year before um tyler and i our producer we went to the end where we played to see in her own words and the place was packed the fuck out and i was like oh it'd be so cool to play here and we were fortunate enough to be able to do it so i mean apart from like the van breaking down the whole experience was a positive. Um, I consider us pretty good friends with Telltale now. They're just nice guys. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember yeah. the first time we played with them was at a brewery down here in Orlando. And then we played, uh, we went over to, and played their Tampa show too. And um, that brewery show, we just got free craft beer the entire night. Oh, that's dangerous. That's it was very dangerous, but it was great. There's like uh, halfway through one of our songs, and just, I walked up to the bar because I told the bartender, I go, hey, just have one of these ready, like kind of like in 15, 20 minutes. And he had the beer ready. I literally <laughs> walked up to a part where I wasn't playing. I grabbed the beer, walked back to stage, and just downed it and played the rest of the song. <laughs> Hell yeah. Nice. <laughs> but those guys, those guys work so hard. Like it's it's ridiculous, like seeing the amount of work that each one of those members do. I mean, it shows for them for for what they're doing too. I mean, they're over in the UK right now, killing it. Yeah, I give them a ton of credit. They, you know, they just got done. They went around the country one or two times. And that that was one of the runs that we were on with, and um, then they headed over to the UK like a few weeks later. And yeah. they were, they're recording new stuff. Not, you know, I don't want to give out their new plans but i i give them a ton of credit for what they're doing right now killing it so what's uh what's on the horizon for for friend circle i mean you guys just put the album out june 30th like a couple weeks ago what uh what are your plans for the rest of the year um we're gonna announce some more shows on friday nice hopefully if everything lines up but we're gonna go to parts of the country we've never been um hopefully we don't get robbed shot kicked out <laughs> due to the geographical location of where we're going but you guys are yeah. playing the milestone <laughs> <laughs> no we did that before and somebody actually got robbed at gunpoint Jeez. what's the yeah, milestone like, yeah. it's oh, a venue in charlotte yeah it's not it's, in like the greatest area it's but not like... in the greatest area but like they yeah. have like a cool alumni of bands that have played there, like Bad Brains played there, Nirvana has played there. Uh, so it's like super historic, but it isn't like it is in uh, where like that song uh, DMX did, "Where to Hood At." That's where to hood at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll never forget. Yeah. And I don't think I shared this on the podcast yet, but you know, it's late night, the day two of Bar Down Breakfast, and. You know, Justin and I are unloading some gear and stuff into our cars. And it was 4th of July, like technically 4th of July weekend. So like there were fireworks that went off, but then there was something that was very like different sounding than a normal firework. And Justin we played just a game to... of, uh, of yep. fireworks or gunshots. That's a gunshot. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh my God. That's so wow. funny. 
it was like it was like a good like two or three shots that they probably just shot straight up in the air but yeah, yeah it, it's an awesome venue everything went super well but but yeah it, like i i told the guys i was like don't hang out by the van if nobody else is around for a little bit like just yeah come back to the mm-hmm. venue for a little bit and it it's a shame because the scene around there was so supportive yeah and, and like we were there in February, and I remember it just being so fucking cold in the venue. I was mm-hmm. like, "God damn, they don't have heat or anything." But dude, you know, I would give that for a, I, I would literally I would, give my yeah. life for that because we were on the complete op- <laughs> opposite end of the spectrum. It was a hundred and ten degrees, and there was oh, no shit. AC. That place is a hot box. I bet. <laughs> I, I just um popped onto your uh, uh, sorry didn't mean to interrupt you but I just popped onto your uh, your band camp and it looks like September you guys are going out to the West Coast. It's on our band camp. Sure, <laughs> sure <laughs> shit is man. How the uh, fuck is it on our band camp? <laughs> well, Tom's also probably looking at something for like four years ago because Tom. No, I, no I am not. I am not. It's 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 on there. <laughs> Nice. Well, I'm sorry band's if I it, band's in town or band camp. No, it's on your your band camp. So like when you go to wow. the, your your band camp and like you know I'm looking at like the Suburban Dictionary album and then it shows you got something going on at the Subterranean and then Fresno and Hollywood. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, hey, Tom discovered it, but um, <laughs> you do have What's the spoiler Tom, Tom, you sleuth. How'd you do it? Well, we do have. Uh, we did announce Chicago, I believe, last month that we're playing with When the Sun Sets. And, sick. Uh, oh hell yeah! Nice. And you know, Chicago's you know, according to our data, is one of our biggest cities. You know, to mm-hmm. punk central Midwest. So we are excited to hit that place for the first time. And then you know, as Zach was alluding to, this Friday, is everything if everything aligns up according to Bandcamp, um, we're going out <laughs> west um, for a couple of dates, and um, it, it definitely hitting new places in California. I believe in uh, Vegas and Phoenix. So we got a couple dates with some other bands lined up out there. And, you know, we've always been, you know, that's been one of our goals the last few years. Obviously, the pandemic has stopped it, but we always try to hit new places. And uh, we're excited to get that announced and, you know, get our asses over there. You You had the prime opportunity to say it was always a plan of ours to release a song called Fuck California and then immediately play California. Well, well, the the tour is called the Fuck California tour. Nice. Even better. How are you guys? uh, How are you guys getting out there? Are you guys flying out? Are you guys doing doing the fucking van thing? No, we're flying. Oh, good for you guys, because that that would be a brutal, brutal time. Absolutely. Jersey to California. That's insane. But. No, only that's awesome. Flying, only keep flying does shit like that. Yeah, but like, you know, they're all they're all insane people. I've yeah, I've said so many things about insane people on this podcast, but like keep flying are truly insane. And I love them. <laughs> and I love them for for being that insane. But good for them. So that's awesome though that you guys are, are heading out to the West Coast. I I I wish you all all the success in the world out there. And I'm sure you guys will will do really well. I mean, I I got to imagine that you're going to um you know, kill it out there. But, um, you know, so I, I guess just, uh, in terms of like bucket list places that you guys might want to play, you know, other than, uh, you know, like out there on the West coast, like, are there any specific venues or cities that like you are just itching to, to hit? Hmm. Trying to think, um, 
I don't want to give too much away, but <laughs> um, gosh, I think mine would be South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. Okay, awesome. Nice. Just put it on the bucket list. I mean, yeah, yeah. put it out in the universe. Yeah, I think for me, as far as like bucket list of shows, um, I I listen to a bunch of UK bands. That's honestly my go-to music. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, you always hear the iconic festivals over there, whether it's Slam Dunk. Reading and Leeds. I would love mm-hmm. for us to have a chance to, you know, play shows over there, whether it's a festival or just, you know, say that we made the trip. So. What uh, what UK bands do you listen to? Uh, um, my all-time favorite band is actually uh, You, Me at Six. Nice. Um, yeah, great band. Yeah, they, you know, they're massive over in the UK. They can't seem to get that success over here, but I uh, every time that they're over here, um, I think they have a show in New York in September. So I'm going to try and go to that. Uh, Sweet. And that that's my, you know, me following them. I see the festivals that they play over there. And um, that's a dream of mine. Do you, that's um, like me and, uh, and me versus hero. That's another like UK band that I absolutely love that just did not get any love in the States. Yeah, exactly. Are you, uh, Aaron, are you familiar with, with the Don Broco? I'm sure you are. Yes. Right? Yep. Yeah. I'm okay. So have you, there's this rumor going around that I think, I find is very interesting. So um, obviously the whole thing with that band sleep token is they're shrouded in mystery, right? So like nobody knows who they actually are, but there's been all these rumors that the singer of Don Broco is actually the singer of sleep token. And um, I've, you know, I kind of find that to be interesting. I, I really find it to be interesting that like when bands have like a shtick like that, where it's like, you don't know who they are. Like, um, one of my favorite bands, Mast Mast Intruder, right? Like did that whole thing where they just wore different colors of ski masks whenever they played, and like you don't you don't really know who they are. So um you know I but feel that was like, like every band in the early two thousands before like the internet became what it was. Like every band was a complete mystery. Like I I remember the first time seeing Gatsby's American Dream, I was like pretty convinced that they weren't really a band. And then, like, when they actually showed up at the downtown, I was like, oh, this is what these guys look like. It, like, that shit didn't oh, really happen yeah. in the early 2000s. I see like, what you're saying. All of animals yeah. fighting where they all wore, like, masks and you had masks, no idea, yeah. like, who was who. But you're like, that's Anthony Green. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's un- unmistakable. I mean, as soon as he gets into that high vocal range, you're like, well, that's Anthony Green. But that band, man, you had that. Craig Owens was in that band. And that was another another mm-hmm. another wild thing so um so one more one more um friend circle question and then we'll we'll talk a little bit about hockey so you know aaron's you know avs jersey isn't worn in vain but um <laughs> so as far as um you know we, we talked a little bit about songwriting and the, and the process of of putting things together but um i'm always curious to hear about you know while you were writing you know, the suburban dictionary, what were you listening to? Like, you know, what kind of was in your head, you know, not necessarily that you were emulating anything, but like what was influencing you to, you know, come up with the record that you did? Like, was there anything specifically that you listened to and you were like, Oh, I love an element there. Let me use that. And, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I think when the project really started taking shape it was like i said it was during the pandemic i want to say you know like 20 
late 2019 through like 2021, things are really in the early stages still. But at the time, there was a lot, there was that huge influx of pop punk. Mm. I guess, I don't know what wave it is technically, but it was like the MGK, Mod Sun, mm-hmm. um, dare I say, not not that they're pop punk, but like the band Camino. Yeah. I would, I would say I was listening to a lot of those artists and kind of seeing like what they do and, um, you know, like what's different about it, like, um, and how can it be applied to the sound that we have now? And, you know, like the songs like Complications, I think, which is before the album, of course, but that kind of took shape out of that kind of uh, spectrum of the genre being redefined before our eyes with technology. Um, And yeah, like Suburban Dictionary is kind of like, to me, it's a mixture of building off of like the popular songs from internet noise, like the popular loose cannon, famous something about Mm -hmm. you. It's like, I wanted to take those bigger songs that had more appeal, I guess, and also like combine more of those modern elements from like, you know, what, what's the modern scene doing? You know, what, what sounds are they using in their songs? How are they uh, crafting? How are they working on their crafts? So it's like a combination of, I guess, all those different feels. Cool. Nice, so. nice. I have to talk about the alternative press feature because that's so freaking huge. Like I, I know alternative press, I, I think still is like published as a physical magazine, but like that was like the biggest deal in the, you know, early stages of us discovering alternative music. And then you guys get this huge feature. Um, I was reading the article. It said like, it started with the DM slide. So did they slide into your DMs or did you slide into their DMs? And like, how did this piece come, come to be about? Um, well, the guy's name is Trace Cohen and I think he followed the band account. And I can't remember if he DM'd, I think I ended up DMing him first, but he bought like a piece of merch and I started the conversation with him because I think he writes for a couple other outlets. And I was like, hey, man, if you ever wanted to you know, cover the album or whatever, you know, we'd be more than interested. And then um, he said the one publication wouldn't, you know, they don't let him do as much, but I can maybe get you guys an all press feature. I got to talk to my editor. And I was like, like, like the way he said it was almost like a, I, you know, I might be able to do, you know, this little thing on the side. And I was like, that's like. <laughs> that's pretty big for us, man. I mean, I would be more than, I'm more than happy to have that. And I'm, you know, I'm grateful that he's a fan and, you know, that he thought that the album was worthy to write about. Cause you never know when you go into something, especially mm-hmm. coming out of a lineup change and, you know, coming out of the pandemic, we're like, all right, how's this piece of art going to be received? And I'm, I'm glad that he was a fan. Now, are, are they, still doing physical copies like are you going to be able to get your hands on that or just have to print it off the internet <laughs> i have no idea yeah I don't, I don't think they are doing physical magazines anymore i remember getting them all the time growing up you know i read oh, yeah. my favorite bands that's how you stayed up with the news yeah, yeah up to date with them there wasn't instagram or you know twitter back in the day i remember specifically when alternative press went from a like a normal size magazine to like a um, like a much smaller size, like 
like actual size. Um, and I remember in uh, I had a subscription and I used to keep them in my bathroom. <laughs> and I would just every time like I'd go, you know, do my we business, yes. I would just read <laughs> like the same 10 alternative presses over and over again. Um, but, you know, like um, that's actually how I found out about this one record label um, called Youth Conspiracy Records, who I think it was Scott Heisel was his name. And he was a, um, a contributor to Alternative Press. And they ended up putting out like one of my favorite, actually two of my favorite records, um, like of all time. So uh, it, it was really cool to be able to do that. And then like, you know, back in the day before, you know, I, I had my subscription Alternative Press, you know, it was uh, pure volume and mp3.com like that's how i figured out about music and like all i would do is just you know i'd find out a band that i liked you know maybe i saw them at the downtown or maybe i saw them in the city or something and then i would just go to similar artists and like look up record labels and then just find out all of this great music so that's how you used to do it and nowadays it's just it's playlists you know and that's how you figure out your next favorite band is you pop on a playlist and you're like, oh, cool. This is a, you know, it's a, you know, transit song on this playlist. What comes up next? Oh, shit. Friend Circle. I never heard of them. Well, now I like them, you know. So there's there's so much that's good about that. And I, I think that um, in today's environment, you know, being that, you know, it's not necessarily the same hustle. You know, it's a it's a, a hustle just like it used to be. But I think it's, it's not, more. Yeah, it's I, I think so. Because it's yeah, because like you used to have to, you know, the hustle used to be getting in a van and playing as much as you can. And maybe you got lucky and you got on a comp or maybe you got lucky and, you know, something like that. But like at least you could just get on shows. You know, nowadays getting on playlists is hard, but getting on shows is even harder because bands that are going out on tour don't want to put locals on their shows. You know, it's just like. You know, you might get lucky and find a package that's willing to do it. But for the most part, you know, you see all these great tours and you're like, man, like if I could open for Bayside or if I could open for Real Friends or if I can open for, you know, like I'd, I'd get in front of so many more people. But they're just like, no, nope, don't care. Don't want it. You know, and it's like you almost got to remember that like these bands that are now playing these headlining tours, like you had to have that opportunity at one point or else you wouldn't be where the fuck you are, you know? So it's just like, I, I have such a problem with the music industry forgetting about what made a band popular to begin with. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a bummer to me, but at the same time, you know, your career can launch by getting on the right playlists, you know, mm -hmm. like it can. And I think that's an awesome, awesome thing. Yeah, no, I understand like the frustrations that come along with that because it's an ever changing thing that's always fluctuating, you know, like I feel like TikTok also plays a big role in today's music scene. Sure, it's just sure. like it's an entirely different beast than what I thought it would be getting into this project. It's crazy too, like like I think I think you guys had made a post about it. Um talking about like the playlist ads too and, and talking about how you know during the like the first year of like kind of like the pandemic bands were getting on these algorithmic playlists all the time and then something kind of like switched where we all started like seeing like less and less or getting on these like algorithmic playlists like way less than what we were used to even like 
even like the not even release not release radar because that's a new one but like new punk tracks like for example like i remember finding so many of my friends bands on those and being yep. able to go on there and listen to them and like you you rarely see that anymore you'll see the same like i don't know like mod sun song that came out two months ago still on new punk tracks but it's like are you supposed to like filter these out a little bit and right. it's it's it kind of like it kind of like pulls it down but it's it's funny because apple music is now becoming that that almost like playlist destination even though no one knows how to submit to apple playlist now <laughs> yeah but like we got on we got on a couple of uh apple playlists um i think it was like rising grind and like one other like punk one and it did like phenomenal for us and i, I was just like how how did this happen like we didn't submit to anything did someone just like listen and they were just like yeah we're gonna throw this on here but um but yeah it's just weird to see that kind of like mixture and then combined with like not being able to get on certain shows um it kind of like you gotta like almost like make a name for yourself through like tiktok or social media which you guys have been killing it at yeah thank thank you because that's all i it's not something i particularly enjoy doing but it's something that you kind of have to learn to do so i appreciate that it looks somewhat decent enough yeah i mean and i think it's like i tell i tell everybody too it's it's not necessarily about like the quality or like what you're doing like sometimes like i'll i'll pull up tiktok and it's zach it's just literally you staring at the screen playing like a riff of your guitar and it's just like like just like captions going over and i'm just like this is he's he's got me right now. Like I'm I'm kind of stuck watching this video. One because the song is great, but two it's because I kind of want to see what happens. That's good. I, I I get such secondhand embarrassment for myself just even thinking about it. So it happens, I, that man. Works. <laughs> it happens all the yeah. time, and you're just kind of like I think like that's the big thing is just kind of, and I tell I tell bands this all the time. I'm like just you're gonna get that embarrassment. You're gonna feel like it's dumb, but there's gonna yeah. be like. 200 or 300 people out there that are going to listen to your stuff and be like oh no i kind of dig this yeah man it's definitely a grind and mm -hmm. like you know there's like big names in the game like magnolia park 408 and they whatever it is they figured it out because they're killing it and i'm just like damn i want to uh try to do our own thing but also like you know get in front of that audience at the same time yep. It's all quantity over quality uh, with with social media these days because everyone's kind of like, um, what's the term I'm looking for? Their attention span is is kind of like confined to 15 to 30 seconds. And you got to win them over or else they're going to move on. What a is, shift. Uh, right? What a shift because it used to be the other way around. We used to go from like, I remember, I mean, I mean, Tom, Mikey, and I have talked about this in the past, but buying albums and actually listening to albums from front to back, and now yep. it's all singles. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's yeah. still though what I, I feel like an old soul. But like, I literally, when your album came out, I was like too busy to actually sit down and listen to the full album. So like, I pushed it off for like a couple of weeks, and then I finally had a chance, and I listened from start to finish, and I instantly slid into Aaron's DMs. I was like shit this this is a fucking great record like i need to get you guys on and like i had to do you guys the service of listening to the album from, from start to finish even though i know like a lot of the songs came out as singles already i still wanted to listen to it as a complete piece rather than just you know listening to the the songs that i haven't heard yet yeah so Dude, i, I, I hope that, that there's 
more people like us out there but you know it's it's constantly changing and it's tough being a band these days it definitely is but uh before we let you guys go um i i know aaron's definitely ready to talk a little hockey um and we'll keep it nice and short and sweet you had a season where you guys you know were definitely favorites for a a lot of the hockey writers going in and then you pulled it off and and you you won the cup and then the very next season i think you guys underperformed in the playoffs and were knocked out by an expansion team so like how are, how are your feelings? Are you still like coming off the high of winning the Stanley Cup, or now are you like, oh my God, where are the Avs going now? Are we like going to be in cap hell? Like what what's going on with the team and and kind of how are you sitting this summer? Yeah, I think um, I mean obviously the high of winning the Stanley Cup, um, you know that. It, I guess you could say it eases the pain because it's very, you know, it's very difficult to win back to back, even though, you know, we saw it with the Lightning a few years ago. You know, they were trying to go for it, their third. Um, yeah, it really just puts into perspective, like now that you're on that side of like, you know, and it was pretty much the same team. Like, yes, you lost like a few pieces here and there. Like, it was pretty much the same team that won the Stanley Cup. I'm sure a lot of Av fans were like, oh, you know, maybe we can repeat. Like, we maybe we can do it. And now it's like, wow, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it, it certainly, you know, is and was. Um, I don't know if you guys remember even uh, Landeskog, he got hurt at the end of yep. the Stanley Cup playoffs. So he was out uh, the entire year this past season. And I'm pretty sure he's going to be out all of the ex- upcoming season as well. Cause, Crazy. Yeah, two years being out um, in a row. So he's a captain, you know, he's the big piece that we're missing. Um, you know, I guess, you know, when you get into the playoffs like this previous year and you're knocked out by an expansion team, I mean, it makes you feel a little salty in a way. Um, just seeing this team out of nowhere beat you guys, beat us. And I, th- I think it was in a game seven. Game six. Oh, or- yeah. Yeah. It went to game six, I think, in that one. Game six. And, I mean, I'll give the Seattle Kraken, you know, a ton of credit. Um, it, ju- it just goes to show how tough it is to, you know, win uh, back-to-back Stanley Cups and – you know, it, the, the feeling's there now, okay? We won. Now, it's been a whole year since we've won. Let's I, – I trust our GM. I trust, you know, Joe Sack. I got his jersey right here. He's our GM. And um, I think we'll still be competitive in the West. Um, yeah. I, I don't expect anything less than that to make the playoffs. And I expect a deeper run this go-around. Yeah. It's, so, it's one of those, like, those, like feelings because I remember when – I remember thinking like when Tampa won the president's trophy a couple of years ago, I was like, this is our year. Like, this is it. Like we're, we're, we're going to the cup. We're taking it. It's going to be. And then the first round we got swept by the blue jackets. Um, <laughs> and I was just kind of like, this is fucking garbage. I lost. I was like, this is just, it was awful. Just losing to Columbus yeah. and getting swept by Columbus was just embarrassing. But, um, but like, honestly, like, as, as much as I loved watching Tampa win back-to-back, I, I kind of it, – it's not the same feeling because we, we won one in the bubble and we played, like, Montreal. Yeah, that was weird. That and, was then, weird. and then the year after, like, that felt good because that was a win. Like, that was a full-season win. We didn't have – like, that was good. But playing Montreal was just kind of like, mm. 
this I, isn't really I, a good thing. I still, I, I, I just looked up. I was like, wait, why did Tampa play Montreal that year? Why did yep. they divide it up? It was like the that? Canadian division. That, that is, it's so odd to me. I mean, you hear these memes. I mean, I follow basketball too, and you hear, oh, the Mickey Mouse uh, bubble or something. It's not a yep. real championship, but you know, give it's the, a, it's a, a ship's a ship. Yeah, exactly. There's no asterisk on it, you know, in the record books. It's still a championship. Um, you know, I give I give Tampa a bunch of credit, and you know, unfortunately, obviously, the Avs beat them. It happens. Yep, but it's it's I'll give like I said, give the Kraken credit. You see the ex- expansion teams suddenly become good all of a sudden. Yep, the Vegas Knights somehow they're they've been one of the best teams for the since they've come into it. And it, it's, it blows my mind how that happens. Um, but that, that's the beauty of hockey, I guess. I think having a chip on your shoulder, because all of those players on both of those teams felt like they were just ne- never given a chance, right? Like they yeah. were dumped off. Like this, the, this team that drafted me or whatever doesn't want me anymore. They're willing to just let me walk for nothing. And I, I'm sure that chip on their shoulder mentality carried into the season and just lit a f- that's all you need sometimes a little spark. And mm-hmm. that was enough to to really just bring the team together. And I guess to tie this quickly to, to hockey and music, um, you know, you guys are geographically in Jersey, but you root for the the avalanche. So like let's say the NHL hypothetically comes to you guys and was like, hey, you know, we want to play a friend circle song during an intermission or whatever. You have the choice to play it at an Avs game or a Devils game. Which are, which are you going for? What song? What song would we want, or what team? What? What, what team? Which yeah, one, yeah no, which team would you rather really play that? Philadelphia Flyers. Technically, we are closer to Philadelphia than we are Devils. Um, I, you know, I, I'm wearing the jersey. I got to go with my team, the Avalanche. Um, we actually—I think Denver is one of our bigger cities too. That we have, you know, we're okay. at. Yeah, so I would, you know, I would love for them to play our music and then have us out, you know, to be at the game. I, I don't know if you guys remember, um, you know, this ties into Zach's favorite bands. Um, when they were the Avs were on the all the small things high. And oh yeah, I, Mark Hoppus. He was at one of their playoff games, I believe. So, um, you know, Avs are always my go-to choice. Yeah, it seems like their fan base fucks with Blink-182, so I'm sure that they would love Friend Circle as well. Yep. Although, we did find out on the last episode of Bardown Breakdown that a certain goalie on the Kraken is a big pop-punk fan. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I did see that snippet today. I think you guys posted that on uh, on Instagram. (laughs) You guys had an interview with one of the Kraken reporters. Yeah, with Piper. Yeah, that that was very cool to hear. I mean, I wonder if uh, any Friend Circle songs popped up on his uh, playlist. Release radars, yeah. Yep, exactly. That'd be cool. Yeah, you never know. So I leave you with this one question, since you are, Zach, such a a Blink fan. What is the best Blink-182 record? My personal favorite is Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, but I... You know, Dude Ranch and, like, everything on, really. Dude Ranch through um, neighborhoods and dogs eating dogs. Like, it just holds a special place in my heart. 
Sure. Uh, it just hits in all the ways that, you know, got me into music in the first place. And I think the reason I'm so attached to Take Off Your Pants and Jacket is because, like, you know, I was probably, like, nine when that came out. So yep. I was like, okay, like, I just, I never heard music like that at that age. And I was like, you know what? This shit is kind of life-changing, so. Yeah, I, I remember very vividly, you know, being such a Blink-182 fan growing up. Um, I remember getting my my first copy of Enema of the State, because um, I think that came out in 97, right? So I was 10 years old. And of course, my mom bought it for me, but she bought the edited version for me. Uh, so, you know, like all of the poo-poos and cacas and stuff, like I didn't, you know, get yeah. to hear. But then, um, so after listening to Enema of the State, I went back and listened to Dude Ranch and Cheshire Cat. And let me just say, like, right now, and I'm going to say it out loud for anyone who cares to hear. Don't try to say that Cheshire Cat is a good record, because it's not. <laughs> like, Carousel and Eminem's are two great songs. The rest of that record is dog shit. It's terrible. <laughs> literal, literal, like, diaper jokes. Yeah, and, and like, and like I... I I know that there's like Blink-182 purists out there that are like, Cheshire Cat and Buddha, but you know, yeah. they came to conquer Uranus. And I'm just like, dude, yeah. like, I, you know, I like, just want to be different. Like be, be real about it and just understand that like, you know, dude ranch was the record that set them apart. And then yeah. Enema was the record that, you know, like made them famous, you know, but yeah. having said that though, um, masterful songwriting and i think that's the thing about blink 182 that a lot of people overlook like they're not nearly as technically proficient as like some of today's pop punk you know they're just not there in terms of like proficiency but in terms of musicality like the the music they write it, like it's it has this simplicity but it just has this replayability that's just like off the chain and i think that you know a lot of musicians nowadays lose sight of how important replayability is you know and that's something that i hear with suburban dictionary is like you could listen to it a bunch and it has that replay value where you know there's some stuff that just doesn't and you know you can write a great record but if you get tired after listening to it once that's a problem you know and i've never felt that way about blink 182 i to this day when i when we get off of this call i could put enema on and listen to it all the way through and yeah. granted yeah there's some stuff like i hear today like now that i'm you know, tw you know 25 years older where i like cringe a little bit you know like party song i'm like eh, all right i guess you know but like for the most part Blink-182, you can just listen to over and over again, and it doesn't get old, you know? And if it does get old, you take a little bit of a break from it, but you come back to it, and it's just as good as it was, you know? So um, at writing songs like that, like you guys are doing, that's a huge thing. So kudos to you guys for that. Um, and I think um, that's probably where we'll leave it off, because um, this has been an awesome episode, and we've been really, really uh you know fortunate to have the three of you guys on um and um you know we wish you guys all the best in the future um the shows that are coming up which 
Bandcamp shouldn't have told me about that. I told me about. I'm sorry that I let it slip, but well, the good thing is when this episode comes out, you'll already have announced everything. Yeah. So. Okay. So I'm, I'm not gonna feel that bad about it, but but I wish you guys all the best. I hope the West Coast treats you well. I'm sure it will. Um, I hope the show at the Subterranean, you know, in Chicago treats you well as well. You know, Chicago, like you guys said, is a huge city for pop punk. So I think uh, I think you guys are gonna do really well there. So. Um, but definitely going to keep you guys on our radar. You know, we're going to keep listening, you know, keep enjoying. Um, uh, if you can, just before we let you go, do you want to real quick drop your socials and all that fun stuff? So uh, the wonderful people know where they can find you. Sure. Uh, we are the band Friend Circle. Our new album, Suburban Dictionary, is out right now. You can find us on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, under at Friends Circle. You can buy our new record and pre-order it on vinyl from friendscircle.com along with any other merch. Um, yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, you uh, bet yeah, you guys. Boys. So thank thanks you so guys much. again. Oh, and uh, also, uh, bucket hats. Have you guys sold a lot of those bucket hats? We sold a couple. We're still waiting oh, yeah. on the... Um, yeah, man, I, I'm excited to see them. We should be getting those in this week, actually. Nice. Bucket hats always make me think of Jamiroquai, you know. So, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm all I'm all about that. I love Jamiroquai. I love a good bucket hat, and uh, I love a good band. So, Friend Circle, great band. So, uh, again, we thank you guys for being on. Uh, check them out wherever you listen to your tunes: Apple Music, Spotify, or go pre-order the the vinyl if you're into that. And uh, we'll catch you guys on the other side. Thanks again. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a bunch.